Welcome to this episode of the NLN podcast, Nursing Edge Unscripted, The Surface Track. I'm Dr. Rachel Anello. And I'm Dr. Michelle Moulton. And I wanted to start by saying, Rachel, I'm super excited about our episode today. Do you know why? I can take a guess. It's about curriculum. And I know you love all things about curriculum. I do. I get super excited. It kind of feels like my birthday. Yeah, I'm excited too. I love curriculum. I think we're gonna have a good conversation today. So I think ironically, since this is called Unscripted, I think we should actually read the script. So if there's any new viewers today, they know what this is all about. What do you think? That sounds great. I'd love to read the script to our Unscripted podcast. (laughs) Unscripted Conversation Surface joins two adventurous nurse educators as we reach beyond the surface to uncover stories from the trenches of education that feature the challenges and vulnerable moments that occur right at the novel edge of innovation. Our conversations will unpack how to transcend challenges and reveal ways to grow and thrive within the NLN core values. This episode is entitled Steering the Ship, Navigating Shared Governance During Curriculum Change, where we will navigate the sometimes calm but often choppy waters of curriculum change in nursing education. And to help us here today is Dr. Alicia Rebar. Alicia has over 30 years experience in nursing and advanced nursing practice. Dr. Rebar is a professor and associate dean of academic affairs at the University of South Carolina. Alicia's experience extends beyond her nursing practice and leadership to include over 10 years of expertise in online teaching strategies and curriculum development. So welcome, Alicia. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me today. So Alicia, I'm really excited that you're on this podcast today. um, And for a lot of reasons, one of which is um, even though you are a very effective administrator, you are very much still a teacher at heart. And I think sometimes when we see folks transition into administration or have a lot of experience in administration, they tend to lose that connection with being in the trenches of teaching. And so I so value your expertise and your perspective because you're not only an effective administrator, but you're also still connected to being a teacher at heart. And I think that's really gonna inform some really great insight to our conversation today. So thank you. Well, thank you. That was very nice. I I am definitely um, a teacher at heart. Um, I play an administrator on the side. (laughs) So I think to get us started with thinking about curricular change, one of the things that comes to mind is this term academic freedom. And really, I've seen a lot of times it gets used in different ways and the definition gets kind of changed based on the intent and the purpose. And I think to get us started, it'd be really helpful if we got on the same playing field about what is academic freedom? Uh, Because I think that's something that faculty struggle with understanding what it really is. Well, I think that, you know, the term academic freedom has been around a very long time, right? Um, This is not anything new to higher education. And I think first and foremost, when you open a discussion about academic freedom with your faculty, you need to um, all kind of come up with what is your working definition, right? And so that's what we're talking about right now. So academic freedom can take on really two areas. It can take on the larger philosophy of the unit itself. It can also take on how do I operationalize that then at the more micro level within my class. And so for um, for this, the purpose of this discussion, I think that um, every once in a while we kind of re um, visit 
what does academic freedom mean to us, right? So I think academic freedom means that we're free to explore, investigate, and disseminate information that may otherwise be controversial, right? That's really what academic, that was the basis of academic freedom, you know, 100 years ago. Um, however, some people operate, operationalize academic freedom as um, I can do anything I want in my class, right? I can teach however I want. I can teach whatever I want. I can use whatever method that I want. Um, well, that would be great, right? We, we would love to be able to give everybody the freedom to do that. We know that we have standards and we have essentials and we have just basic common best practices that we need to incorporate in our classes. So allowing someone that much latitude in a classroom sometimes can be controversial, right? So in, 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 our, in our college and just philosophy for me, I think academic freedom is allowing um, setting up a structure of shared governance and allowing faculty to have input into that process and being able to express their ideas freely. It does not, however, in my opinion, mean that you have carte blanche over the individual course that you're assigned to. That's great, Alicia. And I, you know, when I heard you talk about the um, standards uh, that really uphold the curriculum that we really need to understand and keep as good supports, um, I think of Rachel and I often use the um, analogy of the curriculum as a house. And when we talk about curriculum as a house, we think that curriculum starts with the frame, the frame of a house. And that is really important to um, keep the structure of the house. If you don't have the frame of the house um, and don't really understand and, and you're not able to articulate what that frame does for your house or your curriculum, then what you end up with is like maybe a tent <laughs> which will not weather storms or any kind of change in the environment very well. Absolutely. And so um, that is really key, right? When we're building curriculum or we're building our house, we have to first agree what is going to be the structure? What is it going to look like? Okay. So we have this overarching kind of structure at the macro level, right? So we have this macro level curriculum that this is what our curriculum delivers at the program outcome level, right? The macro level. And um, while I understand as an administrator, I have a much more intimate relationship with those program outcomes than the faculty that is teaching in the course, I think it is vital that everyone understand, at least from a general um, you know, um, overview, what our essentials are, what our curriculum is, and what we're all collectively working toward to get the student to. Right. So there's that. They have to have a working definition of that larger overarching macro level of the house. And then if we take that house analogy and um, bring it down to the more micro level, we can consider that each individual room within the house is the um, are the individual courses, right? So um, I'm teaching a course um, about epidemiology this summer, for example. And so if I only had the view of what was in my room, right? And I designed my course to fit my individual needs, but yet the aesthetic of that was not consistent with the rest of the house. People would walk into the house and say, this is a nice room, but it really doesn't fit, right? You have tiger print in here and everything else is farmhouse neutral. So um, I think from when we're onboarding new faculty and when we're redesigning curriculum, I think we have to A, look at the big picture first, and then design rooms within our house that actually um, are consistent and have a 
theme that run through them. And each one of us need to be able to articulate not only what's in our room, and we're going to have much more intimate details, right? We're going to be able to tell people where we got the comforter from and where we got the lamp, but we need to be able to tell people maybe about the builder of the house, right? We might not be able to tell them exactly how the house was built, but we should be able to give them a general overview of our structure, right? I agree. And you know what I'm hearing and what I'm thinking about is really helping faculty understand the role of shared governance in this and, and their intersection between their room that they have been assigned to teach, really. I, I think a lot of times the language is, this is my course, yeah. or faculty own the curriculum as an individual when it's really a faculty body um, that owns it and makes shared governance decisions or th decisions through the shared governance process. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are in helping either mentor or guide or for the viewers that are listening, thinking, gosh, how do I help steer our shared governance and our faculty into understanding how to work through shared governance to do this? That's a lot of questions there, Alicia. Yeah. <laughs> and I have a lot of questions. So I'm, pick where you want to start. <laughs> okay. Well, I think the first thing is, right, having, um, being able to set ground rules that everybody's voice is important that everyone has a say, but that in the end, right, the, it, we might not get to everyone gets the way that everyone gets to do it the way they want to do it, right? So I think that's the first thing. We have to agree that we are going to develop the curriculum or the course or whatever it might be as a collective input or collective buy-in versus an individual one. And probably the best analogy I can come up with is, right, we live in a particular you know, um, area, right? Um, laws are made and we have, we follow those laws, even if we might not agree. Okay. So, um, so that is kind of our definition of shared governance, right? Everyone has a voice, everyone can express their opinion, but then the collective is, you know, and some people vote and some people just come to a general understanding of this is how it is. Sometimes there's rules everybody's culture within their college or school is a little bit different. And I think however you operationalize that is fine. But I think the, the, underlying, um, the underlying lesson is that people have to understand that when people say faculty own the curriculum, it means faculty as a group, not faculty as the individual person, right? So just because the group decides one thing and you didn't agree, you can't really decorate your house in, you know, uh, uh, 50s attire versus you know, whatever. I'm not a designer. I don't know what language to use there, but you get my point, right? You have to kind of, um, you have to just sort of succumb to the whole, right? To the whole thinking. And so I think that's the first thing, right? Making sure that the ground rules are that everyone has a voice, that um, once a decision is made about the overarching curriculum and then the individual structure within the course, that people need to buy in. And then the second part of that is how do we then onboard new faculty into our culture, right? That is a big problem. People very rarely say, this is what I like to think as an administrator, right? That faculty very rarely go off of the, the, the ranch, as people say, right? They, they very rarely don't want to follow what the collective whole has decided. Typically, it's because they didn't understand, right? And that's because like us, all of us, right? We have been in education a long time and we know we hire people, we have a need, the students are coming regardless. And so people teach, right? We teach what we know and you teach. 
and you teach what, how often you teach how you were educated, right? And so we don't do a great job sometimes of onboarding our faculty to what our philosophy is. How is this curriculum actually built? This is the rationale of why we developed this course the way it is. And here are the essential pieces that we need to maintain in your room, all right? So that's the next big piece is how do we do that well? I think that's a big question. Um, how, how do we do it? And it's going to look different for every institution and every college and school. Yeah. You know, something that it makes me think about was early on in my career, not understanding the why. Um, I made a very, what I thought was a benign change. I changed the way med calc was done in my one little course thinking, well, you know, this is just a, a teaching strategy or it's a, it's an approach, not understanding the scaffolding in the building of the house that my little one, what I thought was a benign change and changing the way that MedCalc was approached early on had domino effects and implications for later on in the curriculum. So I think you bring up a really important point, which is helping our faculty understand where they sit in the bigger house and the, and the why behind it, right? So when they make these changes, they think are benign. Like you said, they don't go off the ranch intentionally. They, they do it because they're not realizing they're going off the ranch. Like where are my, where are my sandbox boundaries? <laughs> um, that they understand what do I have the liberty to change? What really is a teaching strategy change? And what is encroaching on changing curriculum that is owned by the larger faculty? Yes, Yeah. exactly. And, and Rachel, I appreciate this, like when you're onboarding as a faculty, getting that big picture, whether it's the big picture around your course, um, the big picture around the program, the big picture around the school, and maybe even just delivering it, right? The development in those layers so people can understand where their course operates and what, what you know, ownership they have as faculty. I had the opposite problem, Rachel, where I was mentored in curriculum very fortunately, very early on in my um, teaching career. So there have been times where I, I'm the one who's like emailing everybody, like, where is this being taught? And where's that being taught? And what, you know, uh, what is the structure? Where, where, what, where do I find this stuff? Right? So I, I created, I thought too much noise and too much, too many questions where I think if, if I just had more understanding and more structure, bigger picture, I probably could have navigated a little bit easier and stopped, you know, kind of bugging everyone. That's how I felt confused, you know, and that confusion, I think, um, doesn't serve anybody well. Well, and that, that kind of speaks to, you know, I think um, the, part of the reason why I entered um, administration is exactly what you're describing, right? I was mentored very early around curriculum, about how to design courses, and the philosophy that I have with teaching, one of the big, one of the big pillars with my philosophy of teaching is students need to understand why they're doing something, right? They need to, they need to understand why am I learning this? How does this fit into the bigger picture of me becoming a nurse, right? For us, it's nursing. So, that is very, very important that students be able to understand the why behind because then they're going to value, right, what we're teaching them and they're more readily going to learn it. So as I moved into administration, I take that same philosophy. It's very important that our faculty understand the why, that I set very clear 
um, expectations about this is what this is what we as a group have decided, right? I'm not the ultimate decider as the as the associate dean. I simply am there to I'm like the sheriff, right? I I enact the things that the faculty have agreed upon. I make sure that we carry out the things that that the faculty have agreed upon. And it's kind of like in a class when you have a rubric, it it sets a clear path for the student, right? Me having, me making sure that the overarching curriculum is well-defined and that it is in a place that faculty can, can refer to it, they can understand it, they can understand the why of how we built our, our house, how the rooms are the scaffolding, how their individual piece is really helping to contribute to that end result of our really good students that we graduate is incredibly important. And in my opinion, it's not significantly different from when I was a teacher you know, a full-time teacher. I'm still a teacher, but a full-time teacher, right? So, um, so I think that's, that's vitally important is for people in my role also to understand what my charge is, right? All right. So, uh, Alicia, we've been talking a, a lot about, in broad terms, about academic freedom, about curriculum, and now I want to turn back to our title, about steering the ship uh, during curriculum change. And as we approach the NCLEX next gen uh, that is coming, uh, you know, that is in and of itself generating a lot of curriculum change or maybe generating a lot of curriculum change. And so, you know, now that the waters go from calm to choppy as change usually does generate some choppy waters, uh, how do we navigate that? Well, I think that comes back to the beginning of our conversation, right? The reason that it's important for everyone to understand what academic freedom is, for, um, for each individual college or school to have a definition of that, for everyone to have a de definition of what shared governance is and how is that operationalized. Um, it's incredibly important to have that so that when these changes occur, we're all on the same ship right? We're all rowing in the same direction because it's going to take the entire crew to get us through those choppy waters. So it is, it's incredibly important for everybody to understand those big tenets that underlie our curriculum, why we do what we do, right? Which is what we just talked about. And how are we going to maneuver through these choppy waters? It is incredibly important. Those big overarching pieces are really incredibly important so that we can have faculty be able to actually operationalize that in their individual course. That's great, Alicia. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about the importance of uh, when we onboard faculty to provide professional development around curriculum development and design. Um, and now I think we're also talking about that when there's big change on the horizon, that's another opportunity to do maybe a timeout um, mm -hmm. and, and connect with our faculty, connect with our leadership to really understand what it is we're about to kind of embark on, uh, what kind of change and what this will look like for our curriculum and what our role is as a nurse educator in providing input um, and, and really with the idea of sustainability with this curriculum mm -hmm. that, that'll be coming. So uh, Alicia, we, we wanna ask you also, um, we have some fun questions to ask you that we always like to wrap up our conversation with. Uh, would you be willing to play along with us? Absolutely. Wonderful, thank you. All right, so first one, if you were to write a memoir, what would you title the book? 
my life as it is. That's wonderful. Um, what is on top of your reading list right now for fun? Right now I'm reading When the Night Left Us and it's by Lee Thomas. And um, I tend to read the same things my kids are in school. <laughs> I don't that's know why. Awesome. Well, I think it can really generate some good conversation. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, what is your favorite quote? Uh, my favorite quote is, if you're not willing to learn, no one can help you. I like that. Rachel, did you write that one down? I, I, I have a mental note. Yeah, okay. I'm keeping track of all these. We get <laughs> such good quotes from this. This is really our, um, our selfish part of the, the podcast. Yeah. We get to learn a lot of new readings and new quotes. Absolutely. And last one, if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be? I would probably want to, at my stage where I'm at right now in my life, I would probably want to have dinner with um, a, a woman called Emmeline Parkhurst. And she was um, one of the founding suffragettes. I know we normally think of Susan B. Anthony, but um, Emmeline was also um, very integral in that suffragette movement. And I think that um, it's, she really um, embodied kind of how to, she really was able to embody how change occurs and um, where I'm at right now in my career, I would love to have a conversation with her about how she was able to accomplish such a big feat as allowing us as women to have a vote. Gosh, when, I mean, that would be yeah. quite an inspirational conversation um, that we could all learn from for sure. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. Thank you for being here with us. Um, and I really, like I said in the very beginning, I always appreciate a good, hearty curriculum conversation, um, especially one that inspires collaboration with faculty, um, with leadership, uh, and, and one that you know faculty, faculty can really uh, create together uh, with the intention of, of helping students learn how to be nurses, which I know is, is what we are all uh, aiming for. So thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for having me today. Thanks, Alicia. And to our viewers, thanks for tuning in on this episode of the NLN Nursing Edge Unscripted Surface podcast. Until next time, we hope you're well.